Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. And here's a warning, listeners. Caroline, my wife, the woman I married... How do I say this? She's hard to gross out. Yeah, that's true. Strong stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, areas of interest that others might call macabre. Mm, for sure. And that same Caroline, the one who I'm sitting across from, took me by the hand before we started recording this. <laughs> I didn't take you by the hand. And said the words, this episode is going to be fucking gross. <laughs> I said it's going to be pretty gross, Sean, yes. You used the F word. I didn't just uh, just embellish that. <sighs> yeah. There are parts that will be gross, Sean, and we're just going to power through it. So that's a warning. <laughs> that's a warning for all of our listeners uh, that, that that's what we're dealing with. Carrie, why is this going to get so gross? Well, I'm going to get into that, but I want to start uh, with a question. Uh, okay. Sean, we got married last October, correct? Yeah. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and you remember that? I do. <laughs> During the ceremony, we made all sorts of promises to each other. Not your standard love, honor, and obey stuff, because I wasn't going to say I was going to obey you. Um, no, and you haven't once. <laughs> but we did it with the same vibe of promising to be loyal and loving and devoted to each other for the rest of our lives. Yes. John, John F. Kennedy and Kitchen Cabinets were both mentioned. <laughs> and for me, at least, it goes beyond life, because if I go first, I'm absolutely going to haunt your ass. Yeah, I, I would hope so. <laughs> Poltergeist me, at the very least. For sure. Doing those vows... And I'm not even dead yet, and I already do that paranormal activity thing where I just stand next to you in the night and watch you sleep, so... Oh, well, the more you know. Doing those vows and making those promises really makes you think... Because if you're uncertain about any of that stuff, you really shouldn't be getting married, right? But forever is a long time, especially if it counts the after-death part. Y yeah, what? What are we talking about this week? <laughs> Today's story is about a love that did indeed transcend death to the horror of the people of Key West, Florida. Today, I'll be telling the story of Count Von Kosel and his mummy bride. And I will warn listeners once more, if you don't have a strong stomach, I did my best, but some descriptions in this one get a little yucky. Wow. Let's get <laughs> into it. So so we're dedicating the next hour plus of our lives to necrophilia. Well, let's begin with some backstory, uh, Sean. To the study, if not the practice. <laughs> let's begin with some backstory, and then we can decide for ourselves what happened. Fair enough. This is, uh, we'll start with the Count himself. Records show the, that- From Sesame Street. <laughs> no, Sean. Count von Kosel, duh. One corpse, two corpses. Ah, 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 ah. Records show that Count von Kosel, porn Karl Tanzler, came into this world in a modest home in Dresden, Germany, on January 12th, 1877. Okay. Von Kosel... Oh, this is an older story than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. You said Key West, and I assumed this happened in the 1990s. Nope. Von Kosel made a lot of claims in his memoirs, which were first published in the comic Fantastic Adventures in 1947. Ooh. 
but the memoirs need to be taken with a gigantic grain of salt. You mean because they were printed in a comic book <laughs> called Fantastic Adventures? Among other things, yeah. Von Koso claimed he was German nobility, and I will say there is a Von Koso castle in Dresden, but the truth of his noble birth is murky. Okay. He probably wasn't a noble. Sure. A surviving family member told the author of Undying Love, Ben Harrison, that, quote, Sorry. it was just something he made up. That's our source uh, on, on this story is, is a book called, <laughs> sorry, Undying Love? Yes, our main source for this story is Undying Love by Ben Harrison. It's a great book. Uh, and he did a lot of research with uh, people who were actually involved in this or descended from those people. Cheeky title. Continue. <laughs> so we're going to call him Count von Kosel for the purposes of this podcast because that's what he went by and it's just more weird and fun. Oh, yeah. What was his actual last name? Karl Tanzler. So the fact that there is a von Kosel castle in Germany just means that there is a royal family with that name. not Some sort of aristocracy, yeah. Not that he's related to that in no. any way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Von Kosel wound up in Australia just prior to the outbreak of World War One, and may or may not have been interned in some sort of POW or work camp during the war. At the end of World War One, he ended up back in Germany and claimed to work as an inventor. There's some precedent for this later, but he also claimed to invent the biplane, so who uh, knows? Was that invented in Germany after World War One? No. I didn't think so. Around 1920, he married his wife, Doris Schaefer, and they had two children soon after, Aisha and Clarista. Growing up, Van Kosel claimed that he was visited by visions of his dead ancestor, or someone he claimed was his ancestor, sure. Countess Anna Constantina Van Kosel. Several times over the years, the spirit revealed to Van Kosel the face of his supposed soulmate, a beautiful woman with dark hair. In fact, his first meeting with this soulmate occurred more than 10 years before the woman he would later claim as the same person was even born. Wait, what? <laughs> I'm <laughs> very confused. Well, let's let the Count describe it. The Countess addressed me as follows. I've been trying to get your attention for quite some time, my boy, but you wouldn't take note. You were too engrossed in your experiments. Look here, Carl. I have brought you the bride whom you will someday meet. Spellbound, I saw, framed in long, black, dark tresses, a young girl's face, so beautiful I can't attempt to describe it. Later, during a trip to Genoa, he ended up in Campo Santo Cemetery, and there found a marble statue of a beautiful girl who bore a striking resemblance to the apparition that the countess, Countess's spirit had shown him. Okay, in a cemetery? Yeah. Okay. This girl, immortalized in stone, had died at 22... And her name was Elena. The third time he was struck by the image of his soulmate was in Australia, when he was awakened by the girl's apparition appearing to him in his room. This apparition, he said, stayed with him for the next seven days, never speaking, just keeping him company as he went about his normal routine. Get out of here. Well, she did. She just vanished after that. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> Von Kozel decided to emigrate to the United States in 1926, searching for a better life for his family. He left Doris and their two young daughters behind, planning to make some money and to send for them when he was settled in his new country. Mm -hmm. How did that go? 
Well, he went to stay with his sister, who is already living in Zephyr Hills, Florida. I think it's Zephyr Hills, Zephyr Hills. And his family did join him within the year. Oh. However, and we don't know exactly why, this reunion wasn't to last, and he left them behind to go work in Key West, Florida. Okay, so maybe when you left them in Germany and moved to Florida... (laughs) Maybe it was less about the Florida and more about keeping the family in Germany. Well, by this time, von Kosel was about 50 and his wife was half his age. So maybe that had something to do with it, along with him being a weirdo. Yeah. we. we... <laughs> I... <laughs> Can we talk about what was weird about him uh, before? Um, he was a strange inventor. He made up a lot of stories like that he was noble and he claimed to have met his soulmate in an apparition that his ancestor who probably wasn't actually related to him brought to him god yeah fair enough yeah okay (laughs) oh and he claimed to invent like planes yeah okay so it's not a picture of a of a normal sane guy i get you now key west is a fascinating place oh yeah (laughs) it's only four square miles of land And especially in the late 20s, everyone knew each other. The island was isolated from mainland America and early on developed its own personality and whole set of ethics with a distinct live-and-let-live attitude. Laissez-faire. Mm-hmm. Locals really didn't care to follow certain laws and operated more like the seafarers that populated the island. Pirates? (laughs) Well, seafarers. We were only a little bit removed from piracy at this point. Uh, sporting houses or brothels operated openly. Um, I mean, it, it, this is where Jimmy Buffett settled down and began his music career. <laughs> so it's very Margaritaville. Back in the 20s? <laughs> no, after this. <laughs> it was a place that was good for sailors to get lost and make a little money. Yeah. And it ended up being the perfect home for Carl Tanzler to officially remake himself as Ca- Count Carl von Kosel. No strings attached. Well, of course, Tanzler wanted to go to Margaritaville. He, he, we know he loves girls who are wasting away. Oh, yikes. <laughs> Tanzler, or Von Kosel, found employment at the Marine Hospital in Key West, first as a lowly attendant cleaning up after procedures. It seemed he had some knowledge of medicine because he eventually worked his way up in the esteem of the head of the hospital, Dr. Lombard, and was made x-ray technician. So... You can just randomly... Did he have any education? He said he had nine degrees. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, no. He seemed to be a well-spoken, well-written man. But, um, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) It was working as an x-ray technician that he finally met his soulmate, now in the flesh, Elena Milagro de Hoyos Mesa. Oh, her name was Elena still. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Elena was born in Cuba, but moved to Key West with her family when she was young. She was the daughter of a local cigar maker, Francisco Hoyos, and had two sisters, Florinda and Celia. Florinda? Mm-hmm. All right, putting that on the girl name list. <laughs> it's pretty. Elena was known as a local beauty in Key West, and she was beautiful with, you guessed it, Sean, long raven black hair. <sighs> Though the Hoyos family was not wealthy by any means, they got by, and Elena married Luis Mesa in 1926 at only 18 years old. Incidentally, in the same month that Carl von Kosel set sail for America from Germany. Oh, okay. 
Luis and Elena quickly conceived a child, but Elena suffered a miscarriage, and soon after this, her health began to deteriorate. Many people around her, and possibly Elena herself, thought that this was due to the miscarriage, but then she developed a telltale cough, and the reason became clearer. Numerous cases of tuberculosis had been diagnosed at the Marine Hospital, and like I said, Key West wasn't a big place. Tuberculosis, or TB, is an infectious disease that mainly affects the lungs and is spread from one person to another through tiny droplets released into the air via coughs and sneezes. Never heard of anything like that. Yeah, it doesn't sound familiar at all. TB is a popular disease portrayed in period pieces, like if anyone develops a cough and spits blood into a hanky. They've uh, got consumption. <laughs> you know they've got the consumption, which was just TB, and they're soon done for. Now, tuberculosis nowadays is very treatable, but back in the 20s, it was basically a death wish. It was still untreatable at this point because medicine hadn't advanced enough to be able to do much more than diagnose the disease and was actually the number one cause of death in Key West at this time. The disease especially ran rampant between the cigar factory workers that passed germs around in the tight confines of their workplace, and that's likely the way that Elena became sick. Mm. Realza <clears throat> realizing the seriousness of the situation wait so while she was pregnant she continued to, to have to work in the cigar shop every no day? her father did so that's probably how she caught it her sisters also got it and i think one died later of tb as well asymptomatic spread yeah realizing the seriousness of the situation elena's doctor sent her to the marine hospital for a blood test and chest x-ray and this is when her fate finally intertwined with that of the count thank God. For her. <laughs> Luis accompanied Elena to the hospital, but stayed outside of the examining room while Elena was ushered in for her tests. The man testing her, of course, was Von Koso. Mm. Oh, the x-ray tech, because mm -hmm. he's got nine degrees. Well, <laughs> upon seeing her for the first time, he wrote later, quote, I was so thunderstruck. It was the face of my bride, which had been promised to me by my ancestor 40 years before. What does this man look like? Let me get a picture of this man in my head. Um, he looks kind of like if Patrick Stewart had like a curly mustache and goatee and round eyeglasses. Okay, I've got it. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. That's, yeah, it's pretty much right on. <laughs> This meet-cute was made a little grimmer due to the fact that they were both legally married, and Elena had a deadly disease. Well, yeah. But for Von Kosel, it was all romance, baby. How did she feel about it? Well, we only know things from, her po uh, from his point of view, so... Ah. I will say, after this point, he rarely thought of his wife and children still living in the same state and became generally unconcerned for their welfare. You know, moving to Key West was a little bit of a tip-off that he maybe wasn't <laughs> thinking much of them to yeah. begin with. Well, on the other end of the spectrum, Elena was heartbroken as Luis soon left her for another woman, moving to Tampa and eventually Miami. What?! Not wanting to be tied down by his dying bride. Oh, boy. Yeah, what a bummer. You and your fatal disease. <laughs> but, Sean, back to the romance. Let's... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah whirlwind romance. 
Von Kosel was in the throes of love at first sight immediately. His mind saw only Elena. His senses smelled only her perfume. But he was soon shocked out of his daydreaming by the results of her x-rays, which confirmed Elena's sad condition. Mm -hmm. She had lesions on her lungs, which meant tuberculosis. The Count, however, could not be swayed from his happiness so soon. He developed a fierce determination to find some way to help her and bring her back to her health. Please remember, though, there was still no treatment for tuberculosis. So the Count was going to have to get crafty. This is so far, basically, the plot of Revenge of the Sith. (laughs) It's very Sithy. The Count said... Both Elena and her mother could not fail to observe my deepest interest in her case. They invited me to the family home, and needless to say, I went there that very evening. Yeah, that's George Lucas dialogue if I've ever heard it. (laughs) He became a frequent visitor, giving her blood tests at the home, and deciding to begin radiation treatments on her promptly. Oh, and during this time, he was also restoring an airplane that he kept parked behind the hospital, on which he painted the name CTS, or Countess Elaine von Kosel. So keep that tidbit in mind for later. Mm -hmm. Was this a biplane? Yeah, it was an old school plane. Good man. Well, he invented it. (laughs) The Count continued to ingratiate himself with Elena's family. They really couldn't afford the treatments for TB, but along came the Count, and it was like some knight in shining armor trying to rescue their daughter. Mm -hmm. They were in a really vulnerable mental state, and Von Kosel seemed knowledgeable about her illness and how to treat it, and wasn't charging for his obsessive services. So (laughs) It's always a plus. Dr. Lombard from the hospital knew there was little hope for Elena's recovery, but he didn't discourage Von Kosel either. Sure, do what you want. Mm-hmm. Elena herself simply refused to accept the seriousness of her condition. Seemed like she was really in denial. On her 21st birthday, the Count wrote that he told Elena he, quote, will give you my undying love. And he basically proposed marriage, even though, again, both of them were still married to very much estranged spouses. Is this... Is this normal in a doctor-patient relationship? I know I haven't spent that much time with doctors. Well, he's a count, not a doctor, so... (laughs) (laughs) He insisted to her that she was the woman of his dreams, shown to him by an apparition, to which she responded, Carl, I don't know what you're talking about. How could I look for you before I was born? Let me get well first, then we'll see what happens. Carl... You're a weirdo. So even though this was written from the Count's perspective, it seems like the gentlest possible letdown ever. Like, yeah, maybe maybe we'll go on a date, like, in a few months or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. Even in his account, it sounds like uh, like he's, he's getting the brush off. Yeah. But he didn't seem to take it that way, even when Elena's mother told the Count, no daughter of mine is going to marry an American. It will be a Cuban if she ever marries again. You can say one thing about the Count, though. He did not give up. He treated Elena at the Marine Hospital until she began missing appointments and making excuses for why she couldn't come. I'm surprised her mom is so hell-bent on her marrying another Cuban guy, given (laughs) what their cigars did to her. Well, and her original husband. And him. (laughs) The family, after the Count's apparent proposal, started to distrust Von Kosel and began to take her to other doctors. Uh, He wasn't a doctor. He was a Count. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, you know, he was an x-ray tech. He wasn't a doctor. Eventually, the family even moved, but the Count managed to find them anyway, basically wandering the streets till he discovered where they had relocated to. Oh, geez. Her condition was becoming more and more critical. When the family was found again by von Kosel, they basically gave up and let him treat her once more because they didn't have the energy to keep giving him the brush off, basically. Sure, I guess give our daughter unlicensed medical care. Whatever. It was basically he, an act... He's not selling vacuums. It was an act of desperation because he at least offered them hope of a cure, even if it was impossible. Around this time, he wrote Elena a letter containing a line that reads as definite foreshadowing after the fact. If you were a mummy 5,000 years old, I would marry you just the same. Beautiful lyrics creepy actual sentiment Mm. he said about taking charge and attacking the disease both medically and spiritually administering shock therapy and bringing her a variety of presents to lift her mood including a large and lovely bed for her to sleep in did he say what he was hoping the shock therapy was going to just shock the tb out sure duh he played the radio for her and Elena remarked on her favorite song when it played multiple times in one day, La Boda Negra, The Black Wedding. The song was about a man whose lover died young, and he began to visit the graveyard until he dug her up from the grave, placed her on a bed of flowers, took his own life while embracing the skeleton of his dead love, and was reunited with her in the afterlife. Okay. So you remember that bit of foreshadowing from before? We can call this one Chekhov's Dirge. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure, it'll come back. Mm. On October 25th, 1931, Elena's brother-in-law came to the hospital to give him the sad news that, despite all of his machinations, Elena had just died. Wait, no, wait, I can still shock her more! (laughs) Well, he went out of his mind with grief. He was blaming her father for taking her for a ride in the car. He became angry with the family. He decided to make and pay for all the funeral arrangements, and he saw to every single detail, thinking, now at least nobody could take my Elena from me. Although I could see her no longer, I felt her presence all the time. It was only natural I went daily to the cemetery. Yeah, I would call that natural. (laughs) Elena, however, had been buried in a fairly shallow grave, and most places in the cemetery were at the mercy of water flooding. (sighs) Okay. At this time, the Count also took it upon himself to move into Elena's old room and pay her parents' rent. Okay, this is something they could have put the kibosh on. They don't have to let him move in. Uh, Yeah, I wonder how this conversation went down, but again, they were beside themselves with grief, and they probably really needed the money. I'm sorry, Mr. Kosell, you wanted to... You wanted to do what? It's Count von Kosell, actually. Oh. Uh, and they also felt like they owed this guy in some way for paying for her burial and funeral. and. You don't have to let him do that. I Trust me. I know. But he stayed in her room, sleeping in the bed that he'd purchased her, the bed in which she died. Howard. What's his name? <laughs> Carl? <laughs> Carl. Are you thinking Howard Cosell? Oh, yes. <laughs> that is who, what I was thinking. Of. Uh, 
He told Elena's mother he'd rebury her and adorn her with the jewels that he'd gotten her in life. And the mother gave him a bag of Elena's hair that had been shorn years ago to replace any decay that her body had already gone through. Yes, yes, it's weird. It's weird. The mother? She had a bag of hair. Yep, okay. Red flag number one. Why does the mom have a bag? I think... Elena had grown her hair very long at one point and had cut it, and the mom saved it. Yep. Still stuck on the same point. And then the count was like, I want to reset her and her coffin and everything. And the mom was like, here's a bag of hair. Why did she keep... I mean, I guess my I know my mom has like a, a little thing of all of her children's baby teeth somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess this isn't that much weirder than that, if you think about it. Yeah, I think it was like that but it's weird uh and we're going to discuss just how weird it's going to get Mm -hmm. if i had a stalker if i had a posthumous stalker there's no way my mom would give my baby teeth to the stalker after the break You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men, and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy, and I'm Beth, and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're here, which means you love podcasts. But are you looking for another kind of entertainment on the go? Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to memoirs, news, business, and more. By signing up for a free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash scary, you'll receive access to thousands of titles with one credit toward any audiobook and two Audible originals, free during your trial and then with subscription each month after. Personally, my favorite Audible title is also my favorite book, It by Stephen King. I went into this audiobook ready to judge because I've loved this novel since I was a kid. But between the stellar production value and the truly breathtaking narration performance by actor Steven Weber, I was 100% all in. If you like this podcast and have a strong stomach, I think you will be too. Not into audiobooks? No problem. With podcasts, theatrical performances, guided meditations, and more, Audible offers something for everyone. So what are you waiting for? Get started now. And hey, you'll be helping support the podcast. Visit our link at www.audibletrial.com slash scary for a free trial. That's www.audibletrial.com slash A-I-N-T-I-T-S-C-A-R-Y. Audible. Listen more. And we're back. Caroline, when last we left, um, this poor dead girl's mom had just given her stalker uh, just a whole bunch of hair? Of her hair, yeah. 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 So, 
now that Elena was dead and buried, there was nothing else the Count could really do or have control over other than what he referred to as her beautiful form, a.k.a. preserving her body for as long as possible. He began to design a monument to Elena where she could finally... Wait, had the mom given the corpse to him along with the hair? No, she was buried. Yeah. Okay. But he paid for the burial. Right, and the mom just gave him a bunch of hair. Yes. Okay. But he said he was going to reinter her. So he started to design a monument where she could rest above the ground, away from the flooding water and quick decay that she was likely currently experiencing. Okay, that actually, so far, makes sense. <laughs> With the Hoyos family's permission, Elena was disinterred and brought back to the funeral home to be rebedded. In a new, better casket. Mm, gotta be a better way to say that. Yeah. I don't want Howard bedding this corpse. Well, the rebedding process was extremely unorthodox, to say the least. Uh-huh. We'll start in the f with the fact that it was done in the middle of the night. It's speculated... <laughs> like all legitimate activities, nothing to <laughs> mm -hmm. see here. It's speculated that the Count gave the mortician some money under the table to gain access to the morgue while this was happening. In the funeral home, the Count rendezvoused with the corpse of his dead love. The inner coffin of Elena's vault had already been terribly water damaged, and even the Count stated decay had set in in a most disheartening manner. Oh boy. So I won't go into details, but the body was a mess. Him and the mortician worked all night to restore the body with Von Kosel spraying her all over with a preserving mixture he'd developed and tons of eau de cologne for the understandable horrific smell. <laughs> yeah. So he's just... All over. When morning came, my sweet bride was free from all outward signs of decay and from that of odor. The next day, he informed the mortician that he would need another night with Elena in the embalming room. Alone. Oh, no. Along with whatever else he may have done in that time, he submerged the body in a homemade incubator tank, basically like suspending an object for preservation in formaldehyde. Then she was placed in a double casket and finally reinterred in a crypt that he'd designed with a locking door that he, of course, had the key to. Can we... We happen... Do you think he... Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> he consummated this relationship Ugh. that night? Yeah. After this, Von Kosel became a frequent sight to those visiting Key West Cemetery. Yeah, I bet. He came to sit in the crypt by the coffin for 18 months straight. And he started to experience to... And he started to experience what he attested to be paranormal phenomena. He started to hear the scratching and tapping of nails on the inside of Elena's coffin. Upon reopening the outer coffin, he discovered that the inner coffin holding her body was still sealed, and he couldn't find an explanation for the sounds he heard. He unscrewed a cap on the waterproof inner coffin and... Yes? Smelled it. Why? Well, <laughs> what are you doing, Carl? <laughs> he said the smell that emanated was exactly like the healthy and agreeable odor of a young woman's skin on a warm day. What? No. <laughs> That's what he said. That can't be true, Carl. Well, I wonder if this is an extreme version of just like not noticing the B.O. of a beloved partner, you know? 
just kind of letting your mind not get it. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But that happens because you smell my BO all of the time. Well, I don't know. Mm. He started to talk to Elena at this point and even installed a telephone in the crypt that he would call when the weather was too treacherous for him to visit. At some point, he placed his ear against the open coffin valve, which I guess he would just, just pop on and off. I was going to say, did he just leave it open? Yeah. And he heard her voice speak back to him and sing, usually her favorite song, The Black Wedding. Her favorite song was... That's, nope. It was the one we talked about before, about the guy digging up his bride and killing right. himself with her corpse. Right. Eventually, he said that Elena told him, I want to go home with you. I want to be with you. And Von Kosel was like, that's cool, but it's not going to be easy to drag you out of here because there are high walls around the cemetery and you're a corpse. Well, happy wife, happy life. You got to <laughs> you gotta find a way to make this lady uh, give her what she wants. Well, it would just be a bit hard to hide from point A to point B. But apparently Elena's apparition was very helpful and showed him how it could be done. And soon after, he was ready to bring her home. Did he explain his his method? He said he loaded the inner coffin, he pulled it out of the outer one, onto a little wagon. Oh, like, a, like a little red uh, radio flyer? Mm-hmm. And satisfied there were no witnesses because it was nighttime. I think it was a new moon, so it was completely dark. He pulled the wagon from the mausoleum. He pull, pulled it over to the cemetery fence where he struggled to haul the heavy coffin over the wall. Oh, poor Carl. At one point, the ground collapsed under him, and a whole thing and and the whole thing fell on top of him. The coffin, foul-smelling liquid dripped down oh, onto him, no. soaking his lapels and dripping down the back of his neck. Is that just corpse juice? Yeah. Uh. He summoned all the strength he had and heaved the coffin over the fence, making it back onto the wagon and pulling it until he reached the little halfway house he rented between his own home and the cemetery for this purpose. So it's basically like that bit in Young Frankenstein where they steal the corpse. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much note for note. Having no running water in this house, he removed his clothes and doused himself with whiskey to get rid of the corpse stink emanating from his own body. Because mm -hmm. be, it's preferable to just smell like naked whiskey man. Mm -hmm. He made it back unseen. And by the way, he's still living with Elena's parents at this point. So he came back home nude and... No, he's wearing the clothes, but he smells like corpse whiskey. Sure. Uh, so he had to sneak back into the house and try to bathe without anyone figuring out what was going on. <laughs> Apparently... Just a stealthy shower. He, apparently, he stunk so bad that even a bath didn't make the smell go away completely. Mm. But undaunted, he returned to the halfway house the next day with a large sedan and loaded her right in. It was time for her to be moved to her next resting place. The plane the Count was restoring behind the Marine Hospital. Of course, that's where you'd put her. Once he had alone did, time with her. Did it have two little cockpits like uh, like an Indiana Jones? Could he just pop her in the back? She did spend time in the cockpit, yes. The gunner seat. Yeah. Once he had alone time with her, he assessed the terrible condition her body was in after decaying in the Florida heat for a year and a half. Yeah. 
My very soul was tortured with her awful condition. I resolved that I would help her out of this awful mess at once. She was my beloved bride. My promise to take care of her was a sacred one. Sean. He wasn't her bride, though. They, they were both married to other people. I'm your beloved bride, right? Yes. Would you clean up my corpse after it was hanging around for a couple years? If you asked me nicely, absolutely. <laughs> so he cleaned her up as best he could and began to visit Fausto's food palace constantly to buy supplies. A Mrs. Weekly that worked at the palace told author Ben Harrison that she had been heartily amused by his purchases, wondering what he could be doing with the tons of soap and perfume he was buying. Little did she know. You wouldn't assume serial killer? <laughs> Elena's eyes had decayed and no longer seemed lifelike. He managed to purchase two glass eyes from a medical catalog used by the hospital without arousing suspicion. How? What's more suspicious than buying prosthetics you don't need from a medical catalog? In his own words, he talks about his conversations with Elena as he repaired her body. Hear me out. I would think that buying two glass eyes... Yes, a right eye and a left eye would be weird, and it was. It's a pretty rare order. <laughs> he made it happen. I assured her, darling, I love you more than ever before. If it were not so, I would not have taken you to me. Then kissing her dry lips and breathing deeply into her lungs until her bosom rose, Ugh. I unpacked her bridal gown and covered her body with it. Mm -mm. Long I lay thus, holding her closely to me, the living and the dead united in love. Boy, oh boy. Keep in mind, this whole memoir I'm quoting is from a goddamned comic book from 1947. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did he, so did he he wrote that he, comic? That yes, that was a quote. That's amazing. So, maggots and flies became attracted to Elena. Yeah, laying there in a hot plane in Florida behind a hospital. Sure. He worked to keep her body as preserved as possible because he began to believe that he would somehow resurrect her using some sort of ancient knowledge that he had acquired while studying Hinduism. Well, he, he, one of those nine degrees, right? It's got to be in there somewhere. <laughs> it's the Hindu degree. He put splints in Elena's nose that were kept in place with bandages. As skin decomposed, he replaced it with silk cloth soaked in wax and plaster of Paris. He made a death mask in this fashion, capped off by the open glass eyes. But he was about to hit a speed bump. The hospital where he worked had transferred command, and the new boss refused to keep allowing Von Kosel to keep his plane on the property. What What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean I can't park my biplane right here on hospital grounds? Well, he moved it to a hangar attached to his new home, a shack on Rest Beach. How did he move this plane, you may ask? I was just going to ask you to picture a shack with an airplane <laughs> hangar attached to it. He hired a truck to pull the plane through the streets and asked Mario, Elena's brother-in-law, for help. Mario had no clue that he was assisting in pulling a plane with his sister-in-law's corpse inside of it through the streets of Key West. Oh boy! You gotta, you gotta warn a guy. You gotta warn a guy when he's pulling a corpse. <laughs> 
Well, the Count saw it as a parade for Elena, and she made it to the hangar. A parade? And the townspeople and Mario were no more the wiser. Around this time, Count von Kosel's daughter Clarista died of diphtheria, but he was so consumed by his responsibility to Elena that he didn't even go to his child's funeral or send any money for it. Okay, so he's, like, deeply... Von Kosel's a deeply sick man. Yes, yes. To the Count, nothing else mattered but Elena. The two years they would spend at the new home on Rest Beach were the happiest of his life. He did his best to restore the shack and build a lab where he could keep on working on Elena's resurrection. He would keep dropping her into the incubator tank he'd fashioned with preserving liquids. Like Luke Skywalker? uh He was basically doing his best to keep nature at bay. He'd take her out for a little while each day to rest and receive radiation treatments. And he was sure that he was beginning to bring her back to life. Why? Well, he said, often I kissed her rosy lips as she was lying in her well, bath. Well, hold on. They were dry lips before and now they're rosy. Maybe he's onto something here. Thereby getting always a liberal taste of the surrounding fluid myself, which was indeed an analysis. What? Yeah, an analysis of what? I don't know, but it's yucky. Ugh. He played her music on his organ each evening, which uh. must have been a creepy tableau. <laughs> um, a terrible hurricane hit in 1935, and Von Kosel played his organ through the winds, basically telling Elena that if the hurricane killed them both, he was fine with it. However, he and the corpse survived. I don't want to hear anything else about... Carl von Kosel, this corpse, and his organ. Thank you very much. Well, <laughs> that Christmas, the Count took a photo of Elena's body next to the Christmas tree and spent what he reported to be his happiest holiday ever. <laughs> this included, as he described in his memoir, in a comic book, <laughs> drinking some wine and forcing it into her mouth from his so she could drink it like a mama bird. Why did he put that in the comic? I used this method of feeding her at different times with certain solutions when I wanted to be sure they went home to where I wanted them to. Went home? I hate it, yeah. Yeah, I hate it very much. Eventually, the Count and Elena had to move once again, as much of the Rest Beach area was being reclaimed and restored by FDR's WPA project. Do you think he was tying her ankles to his ankles and dancing around the room with her? 100%. Are you kidding me? 100%. 100%. Giving her a low dip. A bunch of corpse juice falls out of her mouth. Uh, stop. I'm trying not to make it purposely gross. He found another wooden shack on Flagler Street and thus made their new home. They taxied the airplane once again to this new address. But around this time, Von Kosa lost his job at the Marine Hospital. He was laid off due to a reduced operating budget. Apparently he wasn't fired for being a crazy person. (laughs) Or like coming in just smelling like a corpse all the time. Mm -hmm. He had a pension due to some military involvement, uh, the facts of which are sketchy. Well, it's when he invented the biplane for (laughs) for the German Kaiser. Yeah, some people think that he was in the actual German army, but couldn't say that because that was looked down upon for obvious reasons. Um, The big pointy helmets. Yes, that's it, Sean. It actually makes it really dangerous to look down on them. (laughs) He accepted his layoff with good humor, and it gave him ever more time with the corpse of Elena. So, bright side. Is he... Huh. How shall I... Is he making love with this corpse? 
Well, I'm going to skip over that for a second. Um, <laughs> he hadn't been able to build a new lab with an incubator tank yet, so he decided to leave her out in the open air and work to preserve her as best he could from the elements. Let's keep her out of the open air <laughs> as much as we can, Carl. He'd taken the bed he'd given Elena that she died in from her parents' home when he left, and here he slept next to her corpse every night. Okay. This is the least weird thing you've uh, told me. <laughs> in July 1936, a miracle happened. She came back to life? Oh my god, he did it. He saw the fingers of her right hand moving. What? Apparently, she also turned himself she also turned herself on her side and attempted to get up. Von Kosel ran to make her hot beef tea, <laughs> which I think was to improve her strength sure, <laughs> and course. is not a that, euphemism. <laughs> but by the time he I, came I don't know why everyone's... Uh, I, I, I was preparing a syringe of, of, of hot beef tea for her. Literally a hot beef injection. I, I don't know why everyone keeps laughing when I say that. I was preparing her hot beef injection, and uh, uh, then I turned and she was gone. I don't know what happened? Uh, well, by the time he came back with her hot beef tea, she was rigid again. Albeit now in the... Don't say anything, Sean. Now in the new position... She wasn't the only one. Still... <laughs> She's now in the new position she had moved herself to when trying to get up. The Count was heartbroken, thinking that her only chance at resurrection had come and gone. <laughs> Stop. It's sad. It's kind of sad, though. Not for him, for her. This is a sad situation. No, she's not here anymore. I know. Elena has checked out. But she's she does fine. not deserve this. She's not here. She doesn't care. This is only sad for one person. <sighs> Her body began drying out, basically like a mummy. He did everything he could to preserve it, attaching her bones together with piano wire and... No, no <laughs> Carl! <laughs> applying layer upon layer of silk cloth to her skin. He made a wig out of the hair Elena's mother had given him when her hair started falling out of her head. And film filled her abdominal and chest cavities of the body with rags so it would keep its original form. Mm. Uh, as long as he was putting the piano wire in there, he could have made her into a puppet. Like a full-body marionette. Ugh. The Count had begun to arouse suspicion. You gotta stop using words like arouse in this story. <laughs> the insane amounts of soap and perfume he purchased were weird enough. Then rumors started circling um, the, around town. The, the eyeballs. <laughs> but rumors are just rumors, right? On September 28th, 1940, Elena's brother-in-law, Mario, visited Von Kosel at his shack on Flagler Avenue. He had news. Elena's tomb had been broken into, and the coffin seemed to be tampered with. Von Kosel's like, what? The, the devil, you say? <laughs> Elena's sister, Florinda, a.k.a. Nana, insisted that the outer coffin still in the mausoleum be opened to check on her sister's body but the Count refused to comply. The mortician and cemetery sexton involved placated Nana, insisting no one could have accessed the inner coffin. But the Count started feeling the pressure. <laughs> Florinda kept begging him to open the coffin just so she could see that her sister was resting in peace. <laughs> Would it be so disrespectful to open your sister's final resting place? I mean, I can't even believe you would ask me to do this. I can't think. Eventually, the Count felt he must comply. 
All right, Nana. I don't want you to go crazy. I will let you see Elena. Let's talk this over in peace and arrange it between ourselves. This is not a public affair. Oh, boy. So, they went to the house on Flagler Avenue. All right, now don't freak out. (laughs) Basically. Nana and Mario were taken into the house by the Count, and he told Elena's sister, Come here, Nana, and see how beautiful Elena is resting in her bed in her silken garments and with all her jewelry. Come and see. She could not have it better anywhere. I think that will pacify you now. He told her Elena had been with him out of her grave for the last seven years. Nana and That's Mario. That's how long it's been? Mm-hmm. No! Nana and Mario pieced the fuck out. <laughs> and a few days later, the sheriff showed up at Von Kosel's house with a warrant for his arrest, charging him of possession of a dead body. Nana, I don't understand. I thought this was to be between us. <laughs> it's not a public affair. He faced up to two years in jail and $500 in fines. Elena, for her part, was taken to the morgue. Attorney Lewis Harris offered to represent the Count pro bono, which von Kosel gladly accepted. And public sentiment toward him was shockingly sympathetic. Women especially thought that what the Count did was incredibly romantic. (laughs) Ew! I know. The Count claimed later that one woman outside of the courthouse told him, We wish you luck and that you will win out and get your Elena back. Get your Elena back? The Count received an insane amount of publicity, which isn't surprising. Mm, Take my corpse instead. (laughs) Take my corpse, please. Mm, I wish he'd brush cologne on my dead lips. Uh, He became well-known all around the country. Local papers were in a tizzy, screaming headlines like, Dead girl's highly educated lover sees no wrong in removing her from crypt. His preliminary hearing You gotta throw air quotes. You gotta throw quotes around that highly educated. Mm, They didn't. Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly educated. (laughs) His preliminary hearing on October 9th, 1940 was scheduled for late afternoon, so the townsfolk could complete their work days before the performance began. (laughs) The Key West Citizen reported that, Sympathy on all sides were expressed for the scientists, and the general hope advance was that the state would see fit to free him. Oh my god. So so literally This is not just from the Count's point of view. Many people were very sympathetic towards the him. The primary POV in town is Yeah, let this guy bang this corpse, whatever you need. Someone wrote a poem about him and read sent it, it to the paper. Read me the poem. I don't have it up right now. Hold on. You have to read me the poem. It's really long is the thing. Read us the poem. Read us the poem. Listeners, get in here. Read us the poem. Read us the poem. She can hear you. Read us the poem. Read us the poem. This is a little intro. Editor, the citizen. Carl von Kosel is reputedly a poet. Will you please convey to him the poetic consultations of a kindred, though uncouth and exceedingly crude fellow poet? Wait. <laughs> I'm just quoting here. I think von Kosel is, is plenty crude himself. You're all right. If he desires, it can be published under the nom de plume of Red Bay Billy. Signed. Thank you, Red Bay Billy. Red Bay Billy, Miami, Florida, October 9th, 1940. Title. To me, she is not dead. She but sleepeth. (laughs) Billy. Love dieth not, though breath of life from body shall depart, and death's inevitable beckoning call doth still the beating heart. 
I, I wasn't lonely for thou, though thou wasn't wafted hence. And couldn't thy body near me lie, t'would be a slight recompense. Thus in silence of the night, no thought of man's loss breaking, I bore thee gently homeward, to still my sad heart's aching. Thy spirit, smiling through the years, through midnight's darkest gloom, didst hover round in mystic love, and cheer my lonely room. Okay. It's like um, it's like a necrophile rope Bill Shakespeare. I get it. <laughs> it sounds like some of those uh, compound <laughs> contractions have like seven uh, apostrophes. Yeah, there's a few. In life and death, beloved the while, and now in dastard durance vile, I like a prisoner for thy sake, cause I thy deceased frame didst take, and sought with wax to mold, to make, perpetuate for love's own sake, thy smile. Ah, yes, men's stringent law I break, they call me mad for this mistake. <laughs> but o'er again, love for thy sake, ten thousand prison years I'd take, Mock not, nor scoff, ye callous soul. Think me not vile, a doddering ghoul. <laughs> because for love, my love I stole, with science sought to make her whole. Lord, this I pray, be it thy will. Stretch forth thy hand and keep me till dark shadowy death and Jordan past. My inseparable love, I find at last. Red Bay Billy. Amen. So that that's what this guy was inspiring. All right, you've got me all turned around. I think it is romantic. <laughs> Do you think there's any world in which this story today would get that kind of media spin? No. No. No, this guy is hated forever, right? Yes. Yeah. Or just pitied, you know, as being clearly mentally ill. Which is, he should be pitied. Yes. Um... So, the preliminary hearing began with testimony by Elena's sister, Nana, who said that she became suspicious when the Count abruptly... When the Count brought her to her his house and no. showed her her sister's oh, corpse? Ahead of that. Because uh, he abruptly stopped visiting Elena's tomb. Right. So if you do that for 18 months and then stop, it's weird. Yeah. And she began to hear rumors reported to her about the Count by friends. He's like, well, no, I installed that phone, so now I just I just get her on the horn every other day, and mm -hmm. uh, that's what we've been doing. By her admission, quote, I just couldn't imagine someone taking my sister's body from the tomb. Who could imagine someone keeping a corpse in their home for seven years? But the time finally came when I could no longer ignore the whispers. So she was in heavy denial, for sure. Right. I could imagine that a possibility like this is really hard to come to terms with. Yeah, it would be also pretty far down your list, yeah. even if it's like, oh, Howard stopped. Or, like, if, oh, even Carl if everyone's saying that, you're like, that can't be true. She went on to say that seeing Elena's body the way that the Count had restored it would haunt her for the rest of her life. And asked the justice, quote, why won't the doctors who examined Elena's body make their findings public? What has Von Kosel done to my sister's body? Was he doing something too horrible for words? Well, I, I would love to know what his, you know, rituals he thought he was doing uh, to resurrect her, you know, involved. Well, what she meant by her question, I think, goes without saying. Um, and the judge at this point was forced to ask the question he had hoped to avoid. Count von Kosel, did you at any time in the more than seven years you had her, kept her, whatever, 
Did you at any time sexually molest the body of Elena Hoyos? Oh, of course he did. The Count replied defiantly, No, Your Honor, I did not. She was mummified. I made love to (laughs) Elaine Hoyas. The Count proceeded to give his own testimony about what he'd done to take Elena out of her crypt and what he'd done with her body for the past seven years, ending, Now, may I have Elena's body back? (laughs) Bold. Mm -hmm. He's bold. Almost annoyed. The judge, of course, refused. I think we can all agree I've been inconvenienced enough. Uh, I'll take my way. Where's my wife? (laughs) So he was refused, and the judge said she'd be buried somewhere he could not find her again, and that he had no claim to her body legally. The hearing ended, and Von Kosell was held on $1,000 bail. Meanwhile, Elena was not resting in peace. She was examined by physicians and pathologists, and then put on public display at the Dean Lopez funeral home. For what reason? I think someone had said in the book something like, well, that's what we do with bodies. We we give them awake. It didn't matter that she was, you know, seven years uh, in the can, so to speak. She had already had a wake. Well. People turned out in droves yeah, to see of course. the corpse. I'd, I'd be there. <laughs> Rumor has it that the local schools were let out early so the kids could see the body that was making so much national news. Uh, bad teachers. Even to this day, the children who viewed the body had vivid recollections of that day for author Ben Harrison, saying, all of us kids went down to see her. What did she look like? There's pictures. I, don't, look at them, don't look them up yet. The funeral directors stated that around 6,850 people came by to view the body within the next few days. The headlines proclaimed, thousands of curious file past maidens beer. It's hard to imagine anything like this happening nowadays. Um, It sounds really crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Which part, the corpse molestation or the huge funeral? All, all, All of the above? While being held on bail, Von Kosell was psychiatrically examined and found mentally competent to stand trial on charges of wantonly and maliciously destroying a grave and removing a body without authorization. Doris Tanzler, Von Kosell's estranged wife, offered to testify but was not summoned. On whose side? I don't know. (laughs) The headlines continued with the scandalous Miami Life Daily proclaiming, Key Wester used body to gratify sex passion. <laughs> well, yeah, that was a that was a headline. Court was to convene for the trial on November 11th, and Von Kosel was released on bond with the bail being provided by the proprietor of the Cactus Garden Tourist Camp. This is like the Joe Exotic type story. Yeah, Cactus Garden like everyone, Tourist. Camp. Everyone's involved. He received back all the jewels that he had given Elena and afterward decorated her body with uh, because they were his property in the first place. Yeah, I guess, but it's kind of like asking for the engagement ring back. Yeah, it's not great. A Havana, Cuba radio station began running a nightly novella that recounted the sensational story with its theme song being, of course, La Boda Negra, The Black Wedding. Oh, yeah, great. Publicity increased to a fever pitch until October 22nd, 1940, when a grand jury decided not to prosecute Von Kosel. 
as the crime he committed was barred by the statute of limitations and could no longer be charged as it had occurred over seven years previously, that of stealing the body. Oh, so just having the body was fine? Apparently. I don't know. Maybe it was murky. Elena's remains were returned to Nana, who had them buried secretly, the location of which was never discovered by the public and apparently never discovered by the Count himself. So why don't you look up what her body looked like after when it was discovered uh, in 1940? I'm still processing the fact that I, um, I can legally possess a stolen corpse, apparently. Well, it's really the stealing that's the problem, I guess. If you see something horrifying with, like, a weird wig-looking thing, that's it. (laughs) Okay. So, you know what I immediately think of? Boy, oh boy. I don't know if I would call this a mummy. No, because she's covered with layers upon layers of Paper mache, it looks like. Yeah, basically, it's like a, a death mask with glass eyes. Yeah, she looks like... Liza Minnelli a little bit. <laughs> but uh but she also She looks like a like a paper mache thing that you'd make for fourth grade like a project or something. She looks like on this restoration he got help from the lady who did that Jesus picture in uh, yeah. uh Spain a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks as much like a person like that. Did, it's so. that kind of a restoration. The monkey Jesus, if anybody remembers that. Yeah. Von Kosa was bitter upon his release in November 1940, but he was surprised at the public's continued interest and sympathy for him. For the former, I assume it was probably because this was the biggest story to come out of Key West maybe ever at that point. <laughs> Though I don't know why they were so sympathetic. Um, well, you said it was kind of a libertine place, right? I guess, but not that much. Well, again, I don't know. I said this before. I wasn't totally joking. I don't think this is great for the girl's family, but I don't think the girl got hurt in this. Well, I, that's the, that's the, the legal gray area. The, the person who I feel the worst for is definitely Carl von Cosell because he is a crazy person. People began to visit his home on Flagler, and he began to charge them a quarter apiece for the grand tour, which included Elena's bed, his organ instrument, um, (laughs) and both of their belongings. Eventually, because of his new status as a tourist attraction, he decided to leave Key West and return to living with his sister in Zephyr Hills. A few hours after leaving town, two sticks of dynamite blew up what remained of Elena's original tomb. What? It seemed everyone in town knew the Count had been the one to set the explosion as a final goodbye. Oh, I see. And F you, I guess. He blew up her tomb? Yes. The... She wasn't in there anymore, right? Oh, okay. She was reburied. So the this original was the one, Yeah, this was the one that he had stolen her from that he had designed himself. I love it. I love picturing him driving out of town, like, in a hearse across. <laughs> uh, there's all these super stupidly long bridges that connect the keys, you mm-hmm. know? So him just driving along one of those uh, bridges in his hearse that I picture him driving, uh, and just the explosion in the background. His wife, Doris, who still lived in Zephyr Hills with their now teenage daughter, showed Von Kosell a compassion, which I think is... Absolutely incredible and unthinkable, really. 
She reached out to him at his sister's and took him to see the grave of their daughter, who had died years before. He made a monument to her, as he had for Elena. Von Kuesel moved to his own home in 1944 in Pasco County, Florida, and promptly created an indoor shrine to Elena. He created a new Elena body and placed on it a plaster of Paris death mask he had cast from the original Elena. People said that it was it was still the real Elena and he had somehow <laughs> figured out where she was buried, but <laughs> it's pretty certain that it, this wasn't the case. Does it look as dumb as the... Uh... It doesn't look great. <laughs> But the original one didn't look great. He would also, yeah, he would also apparently take curious townspeople to his house. Trust me, I've seen it. Is is that the the more recent fake? That it might be because that was an actual death death mask. And it's a picture of him with something. So I don't think he was ever photographed with this other one. Mm Mm-hmm. He would also apparently take curious townspeople to his house to see the replica Elena for themselves. Fantastic Adventures published the memoirs he had worked hard on in 1947, and von Kossel continued to live his odd, solitary life. He would meet with his wife, who was still legally married to him, once a week to talk on a park bench, and she would give him a little money for survival. She basically made like $15 a week. She'd give him a couple bucks every week. Like, this woman was a saint. What and what a again, just what a sad man. Mm-hmm. Von Kossel coming back like a like a seeing pork and beans and living with his lover dummy and just dependent on his ex-wife who wants desperately to be rid of him yeah he became a u.s citizen in 1950 and officially changed his name to carl tanzler von kosel two years later his body was found having collapsed beside the elena replica and he was badly decomposed after several days so he's he basically died how he wanted to die, I guess. I was going to say, in, in, a, in a way, you know, he, he's finally with her in, in, in every way. Rotting. <laughs> rotten up in the middle of his living room, mm-hmm. just like Elena was for so many years. He was buried in Zephyr Hills Cemetery near his daughter on August 14th, 1952. Von Kosel would make headlines once more due to an article in Tropic Magazine by John Dorschner from March 5th, 1972. I tried to find the original article, but it must not be on um, on the internet anywhere because it's from so long ago. In this article, John Dorschner interviewed a Dr. Depoo. Sorry, what? <laughs> yes, really, Dr. Depoo, who had performed the autopsy on Elena's body after it was discovered in Von Kosel's home. You just just brace yourself for this quote here, okay? Quote, I made the examination in the funeral home. The breasts really felt real. Sorry? I didn't know we were... What? In the vaginal area, I found a tube wide enough to permit sexual intercourse. Nope! At the bottom of the tube was cotton. And in an examination of the cotton, I found there was sperm. Then I knew we were dealing with a sexual pervert. The Go back to the breasts. They felt real. That's all he said about them. This is on the replica? No. This was 
Um, the the autopsy he did of Elena's corpse when it was taken from Von Kosel's home. So weren't the breasts real then? Or is he saying that Von Kosel has... has... I assume they didn't feel shriveled up and decayed. I see. Yep. So he has... Uh, I think he stuffed them somehow. Given her some kind of a, a little enhancement there. And then... Um, yeah, the vaginal tube is a um, phrase I was going to have to... Uh, that I'm going to have to... Just try my best to forget now. Yeah, just bleach your bleach your mind. There's not enough bleach in the world. So since Von Kosel never went to trial, Dr. Depu never... <laughs> Stop! <laughs> That's what his name was! Caroline, it's rude what you're doing to this doctor. <laughs> he never had to disclose, disclose this information, and he didn't volunteer it. So the real truth of the Count's horrific actions wasn't known until 30 years after the fact. Dr. Depu's statement was confirmed by a Dr. Foraker, who had assisted with the autopsy. Even so, some contend that because this evidence wasn't presented at the hearing and the doctors didn't reveal it until in an article 30 years later, the allegation of necrophilia is questionable. This assertion would be repeated again on an episode of Autopsy on HBO in 1999. Okay, that's fine, but I... Is it fine? That's fine. It, well, it's fine to say that it's not. Like, I, I, I get why they're saying it's not. Um... There's no, like, photographs or anything from the autopsy. So, right. not like right. you'd want to see that. But I would tend to buy that this guy's a weirdo, you know? I think, yeah, I think that's, he's not, he, the, he's uh, not going to be, uh, he's again, not going to be sleeping next to this thing and. He thinks it's alive and she's talking to him or whatever. Like, the, the yeah, obviously he's fiddling around in the night. The second day after they dug him up, he has to be left alone with the rotting corpse all night. We, we know what was going on with Carl. Yeah. We know what was going on with Carl. So on that note, uh, that's the end of our bizarre love story, Sean. Great. Uh, well, it sounds like, you know, you have... A lot to live up to after I pass. Because obviously this is what... To live up to? Yeah, this is what you do to someone you love after... You want me to dig you up and live with you for the better part of a decade? I would like... uh, You're giving me a look. I would like to think that you would, yeah. I would like to not do that. (laughs) Well, listen, you don't have to do the cologne and all that stuff, but I do expect you to... To keep me in your biplane out back of your house. Oh, keep it on the campus of Ugh. the hospital. Ugh, just a hot plane. Ugh. <laughs> hot plane full of corpse meat. Ugh. And that's the next uh, Cannibal Corpse album. Yeah. Oh, great record. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Lots of things are a struggle right now. 
school, work, even something as simple as going to the grocery store, it could feel overwhelming. But one thing that shouldn't be overwhelming is accessing mental and emotional care. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp is the leader in online counseling with over 4,000 licensed counselors on the site and over 500,000 people who have gotten counseling to date. The mission of BetterHelp is to make professional counseling accessible, affordable, and convenient so anyone who struggles with life's challenges can get help anytime, anywhere. I've been using BetterHelp for the better part of this year, and honestly, I don't know how I would have gotten through 2020 without it. And, of course, Sean and Poe. When I need to talk to my counselor, I can just text her and I can schedule chats, phone calls, or video calls for longer sessions. This means I have flexibility to set a session during the week, or during busy weeks, I can just shoot her a message here and there when I have time. Take control of your mental and emotional well-being. BetterHelp is a great place to start. For 10% off your first month's subscription of BetterHelp, go to our podcast link at www.betterhelp.com slash scary and see how good it can feel to push past the struggle and find hope in a new day. That's www.betterhelp.com slash A-I-N-T-I-T-S-C-A-R-Y for 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. Get professional counseling anytime, anywhere, because you deserve to be happy. Today, we're going to visit an old friend for our Prime and Punishment news segment, D.B. Cooper. Hey, my, my, old, my old pal Dan. Mm-hmm. Well, tangentially, anyway. To mark 2021 being 50 years since the Norjack hijacking in 1971, mm-hmm. Rolling Stone magazine interviewed flight attendant Tina Mucklow, who took over D.B. Cooper entertaining duties. Yeah, after Florence <laughs> Schaffner got uh, kicked to the curb. Well, she had stuff to do. In the interview, Tina goes into detail about her ordeal, having largely stayed silent in the past 50 years about the incident. After Schaffner left to give a note bearing Cooper's demands to the pilots in the cockpit, Mucklow took her place sitting by D.B. Cooper. Either I said, you want me to stay here? Or the hijacker said, I need you to stay here. From that moment on, I was the man's point person. And she was relaying messages over the interphone back and forth between him and the cockpit. I was there for the hijacker to kind of keep him feeling safe, assured, comfortable, and not detonating that bomb. Gotta make sure the guy with the bomb feels safe. Mm -hmm. When D.B. Cooper opened his briefcase to show her a row of what looked like sticks of dynamite hooked up to a battery, she thought she was going to throw up and recollected looking at the barf bag in the seat pocket in front of her, (laughs) thinking she was about to. Eventually, his demands were met and the plane climbed to a low altitude without the passengers and just Cooper and crew in tow. Four or five minutes after the plane had taken off, the skyjacker told Mucklow she could go join the pilots in the cockpit. Probably one of the last things I did was to say, will you please, please take the bomb with you? She doesn't think he answered her. He was busy preparing the parachutes. For Mucklow and the pilots, the ordeal was nearly over. Being able to reunite with the rest of my crew and coming through the cockpit was an amazing experience. We were still in harm's way, but I wasn't alone. All of us looked at each other and there was just a sense of amazement. Co-pilot Bill Ratizak told Rolling Stone, All of a sudden, the cockpit door opened, and in walked this lovely lady who had been our passive resistance to the hijacker. It was a big relief. 
When they were finally on the runway, Mucklow waited until she and Radizak were in the backseat of an FBR car before she broke down. I sobbed like I'd never sobbed before, and Bill said, it's okay, it's okay, it's over. This year, Tina is consulting on a film about the crew's experience of the hijacking and has previously given interviews in recent History Channel and HBO documentaries. Maybe the nicest little tidbit in this story is that Tina Mucklow and Bill Radizak still catch up on the phone every couple months, with Bill jokingly telling the magazine, quote, If we could just get her to move back here so we can get together more often, it would be greatly appreciated. And for more on D.B. Cooper, hopefully you've listened already, but uh, that's the subject of our fourth episode of this podcast, um, so give it a listen. Yeah, uh, and of course, for any of you who missed uh, Disney Investors Day, uh, the new Loki <laughs> series, I, th- I think, posits that Loki is D.B. Cooper. Yeah, I think it's pretty certain that that's what they're going for. <laughs> so you can watch that too. Yeah, yeah sure, they need your help. <laughs> Desperately. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. You can support the show by supporting our sponsors and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash ain'titscary. And please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be forever grateful. Yep. uh, Super fun stuff happening over on Patreon. Special thanks to our tier three patrons, uh, which at the moment includes Nate Curtis, Sean O'Donnell, Jared Chamberlain, and our newest patron is Maria Ferrante. We'll see you next Thursday. Show created by Sean McCabe and Carrie McCabe. Music by Kyle Ryan. This has been a production of Longboy Media. (laughs) Hey Hey there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.